Get a mentor. Mentor others. It's a directive I've heard for decades as a strategy for success. But what most of us traditionally think of mentoring may not be the most helpful focus anymore. Today, how to move to sponsorship and what it can do to help others and you. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 398. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. You've probably heard the word sponsorship over the last few years. It's a word that we're hearing more and more in leadership and being able to support so many people in the workplace and in their professional careers of getting more effective, as so many of us care about in uh, this community. And today, I am thrilled to be able to welcome an expert who's going to help us to learn and discover more about sponsorship, what are some of the first actions we can take, and also some of the next steps. I'm thrilled to welcome Julia Taylor Kennedy to the show. Julia is a sought-after speaker and thought leader in the diversity and inclusion space. As the Executive Vice President and Director of Publications at the Center for Talent Innovation, she drives cutting-edge research into the issues impacting today's professional workforce with an eye towards solutions for a more inclusive and equitable global workplace and world. She has co-authored Disabilities and Inclusion, Mission Critical, Unlocking the Value of Veterans in the Workplace, and The Power of the Purse, Engaging Women for Healthy Outcomes on Women and Health. CTI just recently released a new report titled The Sponsor Dividend, and she's here today to share some of their findings and the implications for all of us as leaders. Julia, I am so glad to talk with you today. I'm thrilled to be here, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. And I think maybe we should start with this word sponsorship. So many of us have heard over the years we should have a mentor and how important mentoring is in the workplace. And more recently, we're hearing the word sponsorship. And I know I have felt a little fuzzy on the distinction as I've heard these two words over the last few years. And I'm wondering if maybe you could paint a picture for us of how we should think about these different words and the distinction between them. Absolutely. Happy to do that. At the Center for Talent Innovation, we were actually the first organization to really dig down into the distinction between these two terms starting in 2010. So we've been looking at this for quite some time now. And the easiest shorthand way we've come up with for the distinction is to say, mentors talk with you and sponsors talk about you. Because when you think about mentorship, it's a relationship with someone who will sit down, give you some advice, maybe grab a coffee with you every few months, hear about, you can vent to them a little bit. You can talk to your mentor and say, I'm not sure where I want to go in my career. How did you figure out your own career path? It can be a very safe space for development which is important. And it's great that we've been working on mentorship and thinking about building relationships with mentors for a long time. That's very important in stepping back and having that safe space to think about your career direction. 
But what we find is after those conversations with a mentor, not a lot happens. It's often a one-way conversation. A mentor downloads and shares sage advice for half an hour, 45 minutes, and then the two folks walk away and then reconvene in a few months. That's what I think about when I think about relationships that have been defined by the word mentoring over my careers. Often, we sit down and talk for a bit, and there's not necessarily a lot that happens outside of that conversation. Right. And so you get some really good ideas. You get maybe some things that you can try out or experiment with, but there isn't a lot that happens next. With a sponsor, the real point of the relationship is that person is going to invest in you and you're going to invest in them. It's a much more reciprocal relationship where a sponsor is actively advocating for the career progress of their protege. Now, of course, a protege has to earn that advocacy. So that's why I say it's a reciprocal relationship. As a protege, you're trying to figure out how you can impress your sponsor, get onto their radar, so that then they feel comfortable taking the risk to advocate for a stretch opportunity for you, to give you an introduction, perhaps, to a very important person in their network, to advocate for your next promotion in the direction that you want to go in your career. So having a sponsor gets a lot more career traction and outcome than sitting down with a mentor, right? So you might work with your mentor to get re-inspired, re-energized, get a little feedback. With a sponsor, you want to be clear on where you want to go in your career, have an idea of how they might help you. And for the sponsor's part, they're looking to make sure that they can trust you to deliver on whatever opportunities they want to offer you. That's one of the things that is really interesting in looking at the research is the difference that sponsorship makes as far as someone's career. And I'm, I'm curious if you could share with us, when you look at the careers of people who have benefited from sponsorship, what's different? So in order to talk about the career benefits of sponsorship, I'm going to take one step back and explain our methodology in our research so that then I can get into the data. Perfect. We surveyed about 3,000 college-educated professionals who are in the workplace to understand the role that sponsorship plays in their career and actually to sort those who are protégés, those who are sponsors, and look at how their satisfaction with their career is different from those who don't have protégés or who don't have sponsors. One really core finding is both protégés and sponsors are more likely to be satisfied with their rates of advancement when they're in this type of relationship. So when you're building your career and you have a sponsor advocating for you, it makes a lot of sense that you'd be happier with how you're moving through the company and you would be moving up at a rate that feels appropriate when you have someone who's advocating for you. It's a little more surprising to see that those who are sponsors who are advocating for rising talent are also more satisfied with their own rate of promotion. But the reason for that is that they have a one or more protégés who are loyal to them, who are helping them deliver better. 
We also see higher rates of engagement for those who are sponsors. They're happier with their ability to lead. They're more connected to the concerns of junior colleagues. So you start to see these benefits of being a sponsor really accumulate. That's the part that was really striking for me looking at the research is we see what we expect to see, which is the protégés themselves do better, but the careers of sponsors also grow if they have really been intentional about making this investment. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. We were really thrilled to see that. Of course, we've been working with companies for years and have seen this impact on the ground, but having that come through in the data in this study was remarkable and to see how many different ways sponsorship benefits sponsors' careers. It's not just about advancement. It's also about all these other factors. I'm thinking about what you said of mentors talking with someone versus sponsors talking about someone. And many people probably realize, like, oh, I maybe need to do that better and, and all the benefits that come along with that. What are the kinds of ways that that shows up when people begin to make that move from mentoring to sponsoring? I love that question. We get it all the time. And what I love about it is it shows that the sponsor really cares about doing this well. One of the biggest surprises in our last study is that very few of the respondents in our study who say they're sponsors are actually advocating for their protégés. Mm. We, were, we, we were amazed to see that. Once again, it's something we had a hunch about. And then we saw in the data, actually only a quarter of those who say they're sponsors are actually advocating for their protégés, which we consider to be the core behavior of a sponsor. Now, it is risky, and you do have to trust that your protege is going to deliver to recommend them for a big promotion. So there are all kinds of incremental ways that sponsors can work with their protégés to give them smaller opportunities and see how they do in order to then trust that if they give a bigger opportunity, the protege will do well and reflect well on the sponsor who recommended them. A perfect example is connecting a protege you're working with to someone else and seeing how they do with that introduction. So say you're mentoring someone and they say, you know, in five years, I'd really love to move to the director level at our company. I'm currently in a client-facing role in five years, I'd like to be in a strategic role. And so you connect them to the head of strategy at your company. Mm. And watch how the protege does. If the protege immediately picks up the ball and has a meeting with the head of strategy and comes back to you and says, here's what I heard. How should I integrate this into next steps in my career? I have a couple of ideas. What do you think? That's how mentors can start to grow into sponsors. Mm. Starting with those connections, then maybe you have an idea, okay, here's a person on a client-facing team. We have a hackathon in three months. I'm going to recommend them for that hackathon to think about the next big 
goal for our company. And then you try them out on a slightly bigger opportunity. So there are ways you can grow your advocacy over time and get more comfortable with the person that you're starting to sponsor. And probably is the way to do it anyway, right? Because I've heard the advice given, well-meaning of like, we should have more sponsors going out and being advocates for promotions and considering people for positions as we should. And I think that if you've never done any of that very much, that seems like a really big jump. And that's scary, I think, for a lot of us. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be starting with those smaller steps. Those are the kinds of things, what you just said, of making the introductions, of giving someone the opportunity for a project. That's the kind of thing almost all of us can take a step to do if we're not doing it now. Absolutely. Other thing to keep in mind is not everyone deserves sponsorship. We're not advocating that every single person in the workplace is going to get a sponsor. Only 19% of men have sponsors. The problem is 19% of men have sponsors. 13% of women have sponsors. 8% of people of color have sponsors. 2% of veterans have sponsors. It's not equally distributed across different groups within the workplace. We see that as a core problem that you know, it should be 15% of everyone has a sponsor, wherever that, that perfect median is, but it should be equally distributed. And so that's why at the Center for Talent Innovation, we've really put transparency around this concept and are starting to teach it so that sponsors can more deliberately be advocating for people who are less likely to get their sponsorship, but who completely deserve it. All right, I've got two big areas I want to ask you on that because it, it, this is so important. One of them is you were quoted in the Washington Post saying that the research reinforces what we've known on a gut level for years, that people transfer power to others who make them feel comfortable. Tell me more about that. There's a lot of research out there on implicit bias or unconscious bias, affinity bias. We've called it the mini-me syndrome. In essence, these are all synonyms of a similar concept, which is if you look at someone who, if you're taking a risk, we've talked a lot about risk, right? If you're a sponsor taking a risk on someone who you see as a rising star, you're more likely to recognize that rising star in someone who reminds you of yourself. If you can rewind five years and say, with the school I went to, the credentials I hold, the strengths I have, I was able to lead in a way that got me the position I'm in today. You're more likely to take that risk and advocate for someone with a similar background. And that background can be school, it can be major, it can be race, it can be gender. You see this play out all around society, whether you're looking at the legal community, which has recently been in the news, or you're looking at big corporations, you're looking at politics, you often see people succeeded by those with similar backgrounds. Yet, we find that sponsors do better when they have a protege who has complementary skills to their own, because that expands their ability to deliver. We see in study after study, 
companies do better when they have a diverse leadership slate. There are all kinds of benefits to sponsoring across lines of difference and to building diversity and leadership when it comes to matching a, an increasingly diverse market, being able to connect with your diverse clients better, all kinds of reasons that there should be diversity and leadership. And yet this intrinsic comfort level and biases that draw you to a successor who reminds you of yourself. You know, even if we were looking at this from purely a selfish standpoint, which I, I think almost no one is, but if we were, I mean, it comes back to what you said earlier as far as the growth of the sponsor's career too, that if you do a better job of looking and, and sponsoring people who do not look like you or do not have the same skill sets, that you're going to benefit more from that as well too, which is really exciting. Absolutely. And that came through in the study that we just did. I talked about the survey. We also did many interviews with very high-level leaders in companies, lots in the C-suite, who told us candidly, listen, having a protege who is a Black woman and I'm a white man gave me insight into the experience of a Black woman in the workplace that I would never have understood in the same way. The stories she shared with me, her openness and candor in telling me about what it's like to be a Black woman and be the only Black woman in a room every single day really helped me then understand how to better manage and engage Black women across our company. Mm. So there's that, these have to be relationships filled with trust. And there's there's that insight and empathy that can be built in that kind of relationship. The other value add that we heard was a protege is often the person who will give feedback to a senior leader that's hard for them to get elsewhere. Horacio Rosansky, who's CEO of Booz, Alan Hamilton, told us, when I entered the C-suite, the same jokes I've been telling for 20 years suddenly got five times funnier. Because, because everyone around me was looking to please and looking to make me feel comfortable. And he said, that was a problem for me because I wasn't getting feedback on my decisions, on the impact, on things that weren't being taken well throughout the company. So when I select for protégés, I actually look for candor first. And by having diverse protégés, then he gets that candor from a variety of perspectives. I'm conscious of what you said a few minutes ago that still a minority of the folks in professional careers, whatever gender or race or whatever lens we're looking through, have sponsors, and not everyone should necessarily be sponsored. Being conscious of both wanting to, probably many people listening, wanting to make a shift to be more of a sponsor, but also being really conscious of what you've said about the diversity lens to look through this on. The question that's coming up for me is, how to start picking who might be a protege, or at least mm -hmm. thinking about that. When you have that conversation with leaders, where do you encourage them to start that thinking process? There are a few ways that proteges stand out. In general, you know, where we see a lot of leaders start and can be a good starting point, but is just the beginning, is to look at performance. Performance should be table stakes in a protege. You should only be advocating for people who are top performers. On top of that, there are other things you can look for from your protege, signals 
from people around you that they are ready to become protégés. One is, do they demonstrate loyalty to you in the organization? Are they looking to build their careers long-term there? Are they thinking of the, the organization first rather than themselves first? Are they thinking ahead? You know, do they have good ideas, forward-looking ideas for the organization? Are they building a brand for themselves? Do they have a strong reputation with others at the company? That can also really be helpful as you look to advocate for someone, but it isn't necessary. You know, we've heard from some senior leaders that they actually look for a diamond in the rough, someone who's performing well, who has great ideas, but hasn't necessarily built that brand. And that's the way that the sponsor can help them. That's a reason why they haven't gotten sponsorship before, but absolutely merit the backing of a senior leader. Sounds like a really good place to start is just thinking about performance is uh, whether someone is doing some of the other things that you've mentioned, or they're just really performing well, but maybe they haven't thought about building their brand or building their career. Like That's a really good starting point to begin thinking about, hmm, maybe this is an opportunity to really sponsor someone. Right. And to start with a feedback conversation, be thinking with them about where they want to go. And then after you've done that work with them, to then advocate on their behalf. I also wanted to talk a little bit about building a relationship with a protege who has a different background from your own, because that can be intimidating. It can be easier to start up a conversation and connect and build trust with someone who has a lot in common with you. But what we recommend is if you're looking to build a relationship with someone who has a different background from your own, to find a place of commonality to start from. That may be business-related. Sometimes that's the easiest place to start. It may be personal, a shared interest in film or in cuisine. Or it might be a values-based conversation. I talked about Horacio Rosansky earlier. He looks for uh, shared values with a potential protege and starts from that place. So there are ways to connect across lines of difference And it's crucial to find that point of connection to really be able to then draw out a protege and feel comfortable yourself having some of those tougher conversations about vision for their career and feedback. I'm so glad you mentioned the word comfort because that is something that I think causes people who would be sponsors to hesitate a bit. And I think we probably should also say something about Me Too and comfort. And because it was interesting to me how there's some discomfort and fear, especially for men, that has come up with Me Too. How is that showing up in what you're hearing from people? And I'm also curious, what if any invitation you'd make, especially to men who are grappling with some of that? We are living in a very interesting time. You know, CTI conducts external research, and we also advise companies on a proprietary basis. And in some of that advisory work, we are hearing from men who aren't certain whether it's okay to hug a female colleague. And of course, we say, just ask for permission, and then you'll know (laughs) that those kinds of fears are coming up. And it's understandable in the wake of Me Too that people are reevaluating how they treat one another. And I actually think that's healthy to have that thought process and have that conversation out in the open rather than make assumptions. However, if that results in 
senior male leaders backing away from interaction with their female colleagues, that can have a huge dampening effect on that female colleague's ability to grow, thrive, and move into leadership at a firm. Mike Pence is the easiest framework through which to view this. Think about someone following the Pence rule and avoiding having lunch with a female colleague one-on-one. How comfortable is that female colleague going to be giving feedback to their male sponsor if they can't do it in a private way? It builds distance in between the male leader and the female colleague. And that trust is harder to build. That distance is harder to overcome. So suddenly, the potential that women hold to lead is less likely to be seen by those who are in power, who are avoiding engagement with them. So it's very dangerous to think about men distancing themselves from female colleagues. You know, we've been watching this long before Me Too. And we found in our first study on sponsorship that senior men are often uncomfortable meeting with junior women one-on-one for fear of impropriety. So this fear isn't new because of Me Too. It's just, it might be heightened and people are more comfortable voicing it. The voicing piece, I think, is good because if something's voiced, then it's easier to address. And we hope that the direction this conversation is going quells some of those fears because there are also a lot of research out there that shows that the accusations related to Me Too, women reporting incidents of sexual harassment or assault are rarely unfounded that these interactions can easily happen one-on-one between male and female colleagues in a respectful way. Yeah, and I love the invitation you make here of uh, if that fear is there, that rather than disconnecting, of that invitation to lean into the conversation a bit and to see this moment of change as we are all in the midst of as an opportunity to have dialogue and to have conversation and to bring these things out into the open. Uh, that's that's one of the big things I hear from women a lot is that, yeah, the world's changed a bit in the last few decades, but a lot of it's just kind of went behind closed doors as far as the overt things. And the more we lean into this a bit and bring it out to the open, the more we start to find ways that really honor people and make the connections and build the sponsorship that you're talking about. Totally agree. And, you know, with some of these fears, voicing the fear helps make it smaller, right? So finding a way to, to talk about it and talk through it with a woman in your personal life who you trust can be helpful. You may not want to talk about it with a, a close female colleague, but if there's a peer that you really trust, that someone you can enter into a conversation about, certainly with HR as well, can be a resource to go to and say, hey, I'm wondering how to handle this. Do you have any advice for me? Well, speaking of advice and invitations and resources, I'm really captivated by the key findings of the study. Uh, You all have put together just a fabulous download of the key results. One of the things I love about it is just 
how sponsors can make a difference in some key ways. We've talked about in this conversation that initial steps and behavior change, especially for those of us who find ourselves in roles of influence and leadership can do. It's just fabulous. So we're going to put a link to that in the show notes, of course. We're going to have a link to it in this week's weekly leadership guide. And I think it's going to be a wonderful starting point for folks who really do want to make the shift. Julia, I have one other question for you. You know, you are working in a space that is it is complex. It is changing. Uh, there's so much learning and growth to happen on a daily basis. And since leaders are always learning and growing, I'm curious what you have changed your mind on or maybe think differently about today than you did four or five years ago. Well, thank you for asking that question. You know, I am thrilled to be at an organization where I'm constantly learning because we put out three or four studies every year. So there's that piece of my job that I love, which is whatever we're looking at in the workplace, I get to learn that. But the other big thing that I've learned as a leader over the past five years is I've moved within our organization. You know, I started out leading individual projects, doing a lot of the interviews and writing, and really taking pride in my ability to deliver on a given project. As I've moved into leadership of our organization as a whole and onto our executive team, I have shifted and learned to take pride in what my team delivers. And so I'm really fulfilled, not by the words that I write, but by the creativity and exciting new ways that they're finding to capture, analyze, and deliver our fresh research. Mm, And you're becoming the sponsor uh, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I am. I am. I have a lot of folks that I see potential in and am actively boosting for. Julia Taylor Kennedy, thank you so much for your wisdom. Center for Talent Innovation, uh, we're going to have all the links in this week's guide to download the report, and I encourage you to dive in. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been wonderful to talk about this with you. If you found this conversation useful, I hope that you will consider passing it along to a colleague or friend who would also benefit from thinking about making this move a bit more to sponsoring people and looking for the opportunities to do that. In addition, if you're looking for more inspiration to take the next step, I would encourage you to check out some of the past episodes we have aired on related topics. One of them is episode 275. How to Help the Underdog Thrive. My guest was executive coach Terry Lepofsky. Terry and I talked about what are some of the things that leaders can do in order to support those in their organization who may not, for whatever reason, have the same opportunities as everyone else, whether it be gender, race, or something else demographically, or in many cases, a lot of things that are keeping them from having the same access to opportunity. Episode 275 is a great starting point for you if you are thinking about that. I would also recommend episode 307, How to Make Inclusion Happen. My guest was Deepa Pershathaman. On that episode, she's a partner at Deloitte. Uh, We talked in detail in that conversation about some of the innovative things Deloitte is doing from the perspective of a large organization around diversity and inclusion, some of the traditional things that many of us have thought about around that. They are now uh, taking the next step into the next era of supporting 
this so much more effectively. Uh, echoes of a number of those things in today's conversation. Again, that's episode 307. I would also recommend episode 373, How to Connect Personal Growth to Business Outcomes with Jonathan Raymond. One of the things I love about Jonathan's work is the focus so much on personal growth as well. And often we've been taught to separate completely professional and personal goals. And Jonathan says, uh, no, we don't have to separate those necessarily. In fact, if we can take the time to learn about someone and to really invest in them and sponsors we've talked about today, there's so much that we can really help the not only the individual to move forward on, but the organization to move forward on. He's the author of the book Good Authority, so many wonderful things he's doing in his work. Episode 373, a wonderful inspiration for you on that. And then finally, the conversation that inspired a bit of today's conversation, episode 392, Why Men Are Heard and Women Are Liked with Lois Frankel and Tom Henschel. We talked a couple of months ago on the show about that topic and one of the calls to action you may remember from Lois at the end of that conversation, particularly for men, was to look for the opportunities to sponsor more. Thank you, Lois, for making that call to action for all of us. And today's conversation is really the next step in moving that along for all of us. I hope you'll access all those past episodes by going over to Coaching for Leaders. Dot com and setting up your free membership. Not only it'll give you access to those episodes, but you can search the entire library by topic. A couple of the topics that today's episodes tagged under are talent development and diversity and inclusion, and also under mentoring, uh, since there were many things we talked about in mentoring on today's conversation. So many other conversations there as well. You'll also get access when you set up your free membership to my weekly leadership guide coming every Wednesday, the free audio course, my own personal library, and a ton more in the website. Go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and I look forward to seeing you there to discover more with us. Have a great week and see you next Monday. Take care.